to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. So we're starting a series called Swipe Up all around unlocking tomorrow. And I love it because following Jesus is, uh, some people would say it's like a pilgrimage or a journey. Uh, you never arrive, but step by step you grow. Step by step you, you, your world enlarges. Step by step you go forward and you get better every day following Jesus. I love that with Jesus, He, he deals with our past. He meets us actually in our today, but He unlocks tomorrow. And uh, through this series, we're going to be looking at unlocking tomorrow. Today, we're going to be looking around unlocking understanding. And uh, I love this whole reality around unlocking understanding because I think the more we can grow in our understanding, the more we can know. It's not about necessarily knowing at all, but the more we can grow in it, the better we can be equipped to understand our world, to understand God's purpose for our lives. And, uh, you know, as I said before, maybe you're new to this, and I just say, just take it step by step. Uh, ask the questions. Be, be willing to ask anything. Like, nothing's off the table. God can handle it. And for us that, you know, we've been part of faith for years, it's also something that we can just continually grow in. So today's for everyone. And uh, so take notes. Uh, we're going to go through a bit of information, a bit of evidence, but some stuff that really just points to the fact that God is real and uh, He's incredible. But, you know, it was probably about eight years ago now that I encountered Jesus. And uh, I, I grew up in church. I grew up around, uh, I guess, God, hearing about God. Uh, my cousins, you know, went to church with them. And so if church and was like a family thing that we did, but it never became personal until I was 18. Uh, when I was 18, God touched my life and changed my life. And I started to get an understanding of who Jesus was, and it literally changed everything. And, but the incredible thing is that you don't need to understand it all to have a moment with Jesus. So don't think that, you know, you need to have a million questions answered and then you can meet Jesus. You can meet Jesus the moment you open your heart to Him. Because it's not necessarily just about a mind understanding, but a heart understanding. And the moment our hearts engage with Him, it just changes everything. But we're going to pray and we'll get into the rest of the message. Father, we thank You for today. Holy Spirit, I pray that You would move throughout this service. I pray that You would speak into our hearts. I pray that, Lord, it wouldn't just be information, God, but it'd be a revelation. I pray that today we'd walk away seeing You more clearly, Jesus, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. amen. Why don't you tell your neighbour they're looking good today? Online. Let someone know, throw it in the chat. It is good. But we're going to premise today or put a platform out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 3. And uh, it says this, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. For by faith the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And I go through that again and we'll break it down a bit. Now, faith is the assurance. It's an assurance. It's not wishful thinking. It's not we, we just kind of, uh, it's like a fairy tale. It is an assurance of the things that we hope for. I love that reality. Hope in the Christian context is not a wish. It's not we just hope this may happen. Actually, we've got an assurance. We've got a conviction of this hope. And it is also, faith also is the evidence of things unseen. I love this too, because the moment I found Jesus, people were like, why would you follow Jesus? Why are you taking this faith thing so serious? 
because there's actually evidence to it. You don't have to put a blindfold on and all of a sudden walk around going, oh, can't look at that scientific fact. Oh, can't look at, you know, what the educa uh, education system tells me. I've got to put a blindfold on. I've got to walk around blind like, like faith is a crutch. No, faith is not blind. It's based on the evidence of things unseen. I love the reality of faith being like a building, like brick by brick we build our faith. You know, if I look at my faith over the past eight years, it grow, it's grown stronger day by day, really because when I look back, it's the evidence of God moving day in and day out in my world. For by faith, the men of old gained approval. Again, love that. You don't gain approval by God because you tick all the boxes and you live perfect. You gain approval by your faith. Because by faith that we understand the worlds were prepared by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. And I love that reality. It kind of it means this, that everything in the universe has been made outside of the confines of space, time and matter. You know, I've got friends who go, how can you believe that there's a God? Who created Him? Well, when you understand that God actually created everything that's here with outside of space, time and matter, it means He's beyond all of that. God's not confined to those rules. He's not confined to that box. It's by faith that we understand. So as our understanding grows, the cool thing is that our faith grows. So we're going to look at three areas to unlock understanding in our faith. And number one is understanding God. And I love this because it's not necessarily saying that we need to understand everything about God. We need to master God in our intellectual mind. But God invites us into an understanding of who He is and to know Him. Because God is about relationship. He's about wanting to have friendship. As I just alluded to earlier, people always say like, how can you believe that there's a God? What evidence is there to believe that there's a God? And I'm, I, I kind of look at it like this. It actually takes more faith to believe, uh, to be an atheist than to be a theist. Because to, believe, to be an atheist basically means, and if you believe in the Big Bang, big bang Theory, that's fine, but... I kind of think there was a cause before that and uh, God, there was a purpose to it. But to believe that there's no God is literally to believe that all of this, everything, all that everything came from absolutely nothing. The faith that it takes to believe in that is incredible. But the faith that it takes to believe that there is a God, that there was an intelligent design behind everything that we see is actually uh, just exactly the same in that sense. The greatest evidence for God that I see, number one, is creation. I love that Romans 1 verse 20 says this. It says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. You go, how, do, how can we believe in a God? Just look up. Just swipe up. Just maybe don't swipe up, actually. <laughs> if we get our eyes out of our phone, out of the mirror, out of our day-to-day, -day, like we're such city people here in Melbourne. But when we look up, we can see that there's a God who created all of this. Have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that we or they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honour Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. It's Paul speaking about basically what's happened throughout humanity. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to their lusts in the hearts of their impurity 
so that their bodies would be dishonoured among them. For they exchanged the truth of, truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And, you know, you look at this Scripture, Paul's basically saying is that when, when God created us, He created us in His image. But what we did is we replaced the image of God, our, of God with our own image. So instead of us thinking that we're made in God's image, that we're like Him, we've brought God down to our level and said, actually, we're our own God. If I want to see God, I look at myself in the mirror and it's such a clear example of what's happening in culture today, that our feelings are our God or our, our experience is our God. But God can be seen in the invisible attributes. We've got to look up to creation. The perfect design of this earth. You know, you look at where the earth is situated. Any closer to the sun and we'd probably burn. Any further away and we'd be completely covered in ice. Psalm 19 verse 1 says this, The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. You know, even a couple of scientific uh, accurate sort of statements that are in the Bible are found in Isaiah 40 verse 22. It says this, It is He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who it is He who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and He spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And science says that uh, the universe is expanding. It's ever expanding. And that just alludes to that reality that God stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Also alludes that the earth is a sphere and it's round. Sorry to all the flat earthers to burst your bubble. If you don't know what they are, don't worry. Job 26 verse 7. I'm not one, by the way. Just need to clarify, yes. <laughs> Job 26 verse 7 says this, He stretches out the north over empty space and He hangs the earth on nothing. This is the only religious text that speaks about the earth hanging on nothing and that was written 3,000 years ago. Only 50 or so years ago, men went to space, took a photo and said, oh my goodness, look at the earth hanging on absolutely nothing. It's incredible reality there. Uh, my, my second greatest evidence that I look at is the evidence of humanity being so relational. In Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And it goes on to say, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And God basically you know, you look out the, over the next couple chapters, he walked with man, he talked with man. He was, it was like a father with a son saying, I've given you this earth and I want you to rule over it. I want this earth to be yours. It was God in this relational way connecting with us. And you look at the world, what would it be if we took relationship out of the picture? If we had no relationship with one another, it'd just be empty. There'd be no purpose to it. But the greatest relationship of all is, is in that, that we can connect with our Creator. With God, you know, the, the, it also, you know, um, we also look at Genesis one versus Romans one, and it's that reality that the, we're change, we're exchanging that image, the image of God for our image. But the moment we can realign that and go, you know what, we're made in His image, we can set this perspective sh straight and ha and engage in relationship with Him. Number two, understanding the Bible. Couple fun facts on the Bible. It's uh, estimated that about 5 billion copies have been made worldwide, which is incredible, hey? 100 million are made and sold every single year. It is also the most stolen book in the world. <laughs> Go figure. 
the, the songs and uh, great movies are made um, out of being uh, inspired by the Bible, a good one. Obviously, we just seen Narnia, but The Matrix, also a great one. And uh, this is actually a funny one. I haven't fact-checked this, so you're going to have to fact-check me. But nearly all the villains in the Bible have red hair. So, sorry, I'll just put that out there. You can do with it what you want. But the ultimate purpose of God's Word is for us to know Him, to discover Him and have relationship with Him. I love 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, which says this, all Scripture, not just one part, not the part that I like or the part that makes me feel good. All Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. And I love this because all Scripture is there to make us better. It's there to help us in our journey. I, I like to look at the Bible. It's God's book of life. It has everything we need to understand life, to navigate life and to build our life. You know, you look at right from the beginning, we get the creation story. We see why the world is messed up. We see the fall. We see God's relationship with Israel, His people, with humanity. Then we see the moral law given. I mean, what would we do if we didn't know right from wrong? The world would be just chaotic. We've got the Psalms, the prophets who speak about Jesus and then Jesus comes. Then we see the church and then in the end, we see that God makes everything right. The hope that we have is that God's going to bring about a new earth and a new heaven. And we look at the pain and the suffering in the world, the promise at the end of the Bible is God's going to make all things right. The Bible was written across um, a couple thousand years, if you didn't know, in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. Most Greeks think it was only written in Greek, but it was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and over 40 different authors. And I love this because most religious books are written by one person. But the Bible has been written by over 40 different people. And what inspired basically means is that in relationship with God, God's written through these men. 40 different people over a couple thousand years, different times, different eras, different kingdoms, uh, different languages have all written a sa the same story without any contradiction from start to finish speaking about one person, Jesus. It's inspired to reveal life and real re reveal relationship and uh, it has the authority to direct and give life to our lives. I love that I don't need my truth, I can just come under His truth. Um, every road, every town, every village, every people group is accurate historically. Even the details like uh, the Bible talking about sycamore trees being only in Jericho. Small detail, but heaps of uh, accuracy. Um, as Pastor Craig said before, we've been, had the privilege to go to Israel a couple times. And when we were in Israel, we were travelling throughout all these different places and checking archaeological remains. We had this cool um, tour guide named Yossi and he actually dug up a bunch of places, which was awesome. But he took us to this place called Megiddo. And the team are going to put up a, a photo and a scripture. But when we were there, um, yeah, there we go, that's me. The aviator's on in Israel. It's a good way to, to do it. But he basically, in, in 1 Kings 7 verse 1, it says this, that the great court had three courses of stuck, stuck, cut stone all around and a course of cedar beams. And in that photo, you can see the, stone, the three stones stacked, course of where the cedar beam would have been and three stones stacked again. It's just this incredible reality that even down to the details of how they built buildings is, is listed and documented so that we can go back and go, you know what, I'm not banking my faith 
on, on just this blind fairy tale. I'm banking my faith on something that is real, something that has evidence behind it. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us every historical, I guess, account of history itself or every scientific reason, but it does give us a path to eternal life. And I love Psalm 19, verse 7 to 10, which uh, puts this out perfectly. It says that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring my soul. How good is that? Do you believe that this morning? The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, more than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of honeycomb. And I love what this Scripture des describes because the Bible is not just a book. It's something that can bind up our brokenness and bring healing to our life. The Bible can direct our paths. It can bring light in the darkness. I love the Bible because it points me to Jesus. In a world that's so dark and so broken and there's full of so much information and misinformation out there, the Bible's there as a pillar of truth that we can look to, that we can anchor our hope in, that we can see who God is through. It's the book that leads me to Jesus. And that brings me to my third point, understanding Jesus. When we understand who Jesus is, it changes everything. You know, I, I, as we spoke earlier, and spoke about Genesis in in the third chapter of Genesis, we see that mankind basically said, you know what, God, I'm good. I want to trade my, your image for my image. We want to try and do this thing on our own. We don't want a, a relationship with you. We're going to disobey. We're going to eat from the tree and we're going to do, become our own God, basically. But in this sin entered the world. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Like the consequences for that action brought death, it brought disease, it brought sickness into our world. And the truth is that through sin, our relationship with God became broken because of our brokenness. But I love Jesus because He didn't look down and say, not good enough. He didn't just throw the Ten Commandments at us and say when, they, when humanity finally, I guess, evolves enough to live by these rules, then I'll come down and then I'll be with them. He looked and He said, in love, I'm going to come down and I'm going to make a way where there was no way. The Bible says that He put skin on. God Himself stepped into time, into space and into matter Himself and became human. John starts off his Gospel like this in chapter 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. I'm going to go down to verse 14. It says this, And the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I love that. Jesus came and He brought grace and truth. And John testified about Him and cried out saying, This is He whom I said. He is the one who comes after me, who has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. When you think that you've messed it up and you think that you haven't got it, there's grace upon grace. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
And I love this, uh, theologians call this the incarnation. The fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And it's this concept that God Himself didn't look at our messed up world and just leave it. God took responsibility for it when He isn't responsible for the choices that we made. Like God's not responsible for my sin, but He became responsible for my sin. He walked this earth 2,000 years ago and lived the life that I never could. Lived the life that we never could. He fulfilled it. He walked around bringing miracles, healing, breakthrough. He loved people. He taught us how to be human again because we lost our way to be human. But He said, this is the way to be human again. This is how we can love each other and forgive each other. Jesus said, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. He is the answer to this broken world. He is the answer to our brokenness. I love Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said, no one can get to the Father but through me. He's saying, this is the way. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. You know, in a world that's so hungry and so thirsty, Jesus is there for us. And I love this last one that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, they who, sorry, though he may die, he shall live. And I love that. We've just had a, a look at that last Easter, how Jesus died, He was buried and He resurrected. And our whole faith hangs on the fact that Jesus conquered death. I love the, the historical evidence of the resurrection, that we don't look at it as a legend. We look at it as completely fact. You know, legends take like hundreds of years to come into being. Like when a legend happens in mythology, you see it happening over time. But when Jesus rose from the dead, everyone was like, like pretty much just believed He rose from the dead from overnight. Yeah. Even the disciples, they were, they were distraught. Thomas didn't even believe. Thomas like, unless I put my fingers through the holes in your hands, yeah. Lord, I'm not going to believe. Jesus says, come on, put them through. Yeah. And then He believed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. The tomb was empty. And the Romans said, oh yeah, that's because the disciples stole Him. So they were trying to cover it up. They didn't, they didn't dispute the fact that the tomb was empty. They just had to come up with another reason other than the fact that He raised from the dead. You know, look at even Peter, for example. Peter's, a couple, as Jesus is going to get crucified, Peter's like, I'm never going to deny you. I'm going to be with you to the end. Even Peter's like, I'll kill everyone. Like he chops the guy's ear off in the, in the garden. I reckon I'll probably be like Peter. Just get the sword out. Um, you, can, you can see yourself in the disciples sometimes. <laughs> But, but Peter comes and he denies him three times on that night and runs in fear. But at the end of his life, Peter dies on a cross, burnt, burnt alive upside down. He says, I'm not even worthy to die on a cross standing up. Just make sure you turn it upside down. And you just think like a guy who had, was in fear and faith, when he was around Jesus, when he was around the miracles, he denied him. What made him go to death However many years later, 50 years later, it's because he believed that there was a resurrection, that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, that if Christ has not been raised, this whole thing's a sham, that our whole faith, it's in vain, that there's no point to it. But the incredible thing about the resurrection is it says to us that death is not the end. You know, we're, all of us fear death as humans. It's because we weren't created to die. 
And Jesus came and conquered the very thing that would hold us, the very grave that would hold us. Jesus changes everything. His forgiveness changes us. His love changes us. He embraces us. He leads us to everlasting life. Jesus changes us when He saves us and He heals us. He gives us purpose. He defeated death, sin and the grave. He is life. He is life abundant. Amen. And the incredible thing that Jesus, or the question that He puts to all of us is found in Mark 9. Jesus says, He's hanging around His disciples. He's just fed the 5,000. And He brings His disciples in after this great day of ministry. And He says, who do you say that I am? He's been hanging out with these guys for a while now. And Jesus never came out and explicitly said it right from the start. He he's, went through a journey of taking these guys to reveal who He was. Because who do you say that I am? And one of his disciples goes, some say you're uh, Elijah, you're back from the dead. Some say you're, you're, you're just a prophet. Others say you're a good moral teacher. And he goes, but, but no, who do you say that I am? And in the world today, everyone has an opinion of who Jesus is. Many different religions have an opinion who Jesus is. But Jesus' question to us individually, personally, online today is who do we say that he is? Peter pipes up and goes, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And it changes everything for Peter. It actually changes everything for us. When I was 18, that question was put to me. God put it to me. Who do you say that I am? Am I just, you know, a Sunday thing that you do? It's just something that you grew up with? something that you do on Easter Sunday or celebrate around Christmas, just part of your culture and your tradition? Or am I more than that? Is what I did on the cross, does it change something for you? Does the resurrection change something for you? C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia, he's a great theologian. He wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And he says this, I think it's on the screen for us to read along. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the foolish, really foolish thing that people often say about Him. People say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg. It's probably something we don't say these days, call people a poached egg. <laughs> Classic. Or else he would be the devil of hell. But you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet. And you can call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronising nonsense about Him being a great human teacher. For He has not let, left that open to us and He did not intend us to. And it's just this incredible truth that Jesus, He's either a liar, He's a lunatic or He's Lord. The Gospels haven't changed. We've got the documents to know that none of these words have changed from 2,000 years ago. The same Bible we have in our hands today the same Bible that they had. That we have a biography of Jesus and Jesus didn't leave us the option of just calling Him a good teacher. 
He didn't leave us the option just to take some of His words, but not the rest. The question that we need to answer is who do we say that He is? Who do we say that He is? We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.